Hey friends, just a quick reminder that this Saturday night, December 2nd, I'm going to be doing a live Q&A at Badger State Brewery, 7 p.m., probably for about an hour, although I will definitely stay later if people want to continue to chat. Q&A, meet and greet, grab some great beer. I'm sure the Big Ten Championship game is going to be on as well, so should be a great time. Again, 7 p.m. Central this Saturday, live at Badger State Brewery in Green Bay. Hope to see you guys there. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's happening everybody welcome into an all-new episode of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl and i'm once again joined by the great Carmen vitale you can follow her on twitter at carmy v she is the nfc north reporter for fox sports and it is great to have her back on the podcast carmen how the heck are you doing I'm good. I'm good. Kind of settling down a little bit after a whirlwind week last week. Yeah, it's been a hot second since you and I have had the opportunity to talk and some things have happened since then, including a couple Packers victories. Uh, things have not gone quite as great for some other teams in the NFC North. And there's been sort of this huge change in the NFC North. The top is still very clearly the Detroit Lions, even though they struggled to get a bit against the Bears, found a way to get the win, and then lost to Green Bay. I don't think anyone's really expecting them to all of a sudden come crashing down and not have the NFC North still be in their name. But it is definitely a different NFC North than, what, than we talked uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the middle is is cloudier again. I think for a while there to start the season, there was a very clear kind of order, pecking order in the NFC North. And now we're starting to see the Packers especially kind of coming on and, and, and contending for that second spot in the NFC North. And heck, I mean... Stranger things have happened. Maybe, maybe for the Lions, maybe they're coming for the Lions' ground too. Who knows? Yeah, that. Who knows at this point? Like the NFL is crazy, and you can never really predict anything. Certainly, would not have uh, expected Green Bay to win back-to-back games going into this Kansas City game this week. But we're we're now looking at an NFC North that I don't know how like insanely likely it is, but it's not impossible to potentially have three playoff teams from the NFC North with the Lions being the division winner potentially. And then the Packers and Vikings getting those number six and seven seeds in the NFC. They're still going to have work to do. We'll see what happens as we're recording this Seahawks and Cowboys have not yet played. So we'll see what happens on Thursday night football to the Seahawks and how they kind of their next three games are absolutely insane. Um, And then, you know, we'll see what the Rams do moving forward, what happens in the NFC South. But this is now no longer like a a crazy long shot that the NFC North could potentially even have three teams in the in the playoffs. You're helped by the fact that the NFC South is so bad. And so you're thinking you're only going to get one team from the NFC South. Uh, and it probably not deservedly so at, in, in that case, right. but it's going to be interesting. The NFC West is really the division to keep an eye on because there's going to be some movement in the NFC West as well. And, but the North, yeah, the field is not, we knew this going into the, to the 2023 season that the field is not ultra, ultra competitive in the NFC, the way it is in the AFC. So you're going to see some teams with some barely over 500 records that are contending for those wildcard spots. Yeah, New Year's Eve down the road, Packers, Vikings, uh, Sunday night football could be a rather interesting game for those seedings as well. And of course, the Vikings still have two games remaining against the Lions as well. So NFC North, far from settled. There's going to be a lot of interdivisional matchups that will shape the remainder of that. And like I said, not out of the realm of possibility that you could end up with three teams in the playoffs from the North, which would make things very interesting 
right, I want to get to a couple articles that you recently posted. And I want to start with a question that I've been asking a lot of people is what now defines success for this Packers team? Because at one point it felt like, all right, rebuilding season, Jordan Love, get his evaluation. And like, let's just see what happens. Now it's like you are a coin flips chance kind of at worst to, to make the, the playoffs. You've got a really tough Chiefs game and then kind of five winnable games immediately following that. And it does feel like to some people that like maybe the calculus has changed a little bit. And now it's like they need to make the playoffs to be successful. Or I guess my better question is just where are you at with how Green Bay could f- define success moving forward? I don't think it's changed. I think that success still means getting the evaluation on Jordan Love. And so far, by the end of the season, you are going to be able to feel good about the sample size that you've seen out of Jordan Love to make that decision either way. I'm not crowning him just yet, but this has all been very expected at the same time. It's not sexy to say it's going to take a while for this offense to click because it's so young, because the team is so young, because Jordan Love is in his first year as starter. It's not sexy to say it's it's going to take a while, but it was going to take a while. It was always going to take a while. This was always going to be an up and down season. And that's fine. As long as you have your firm evaluation on Jordan love by the end of it. And I think the Packers can feel very good about the fact that come week 18, they will know whether or not Jordan love is their quarterback in the future. Yeah. It certainly seems to be trending in the right direction. And I'm a million percent with you. I still think the evaluation of Jordan love is one, a for this franchise overall. It is far too important a decision moving forward as to what to do as a franchise decision and the huge contract that goes into that if they do decide that Jordan is the guy. Like that is that is 1A on their to-do list still for the remainder of the season. And then 1B to me still is not playoffs. It's still developing all the talent around him and on the defensive side of the ball. This team is stacked with players 25 and younger that still need to progress and get better. And we're starting to see signs of that as well. Musgrave, before he got hurt, was showing some signs of that. Tucker Craft's been getting better week by week. Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks. Watson's coming off his best game. We can go on and on, but there are plenty of players on this team right now that are playing at a pretty high level or at least showing signs of being able to play at a high level at a very young age. And that's very promising for Green Bay. So those two things are still non-negotiable for me of like if they end up going whatever, you know, three and three the rest of the way and not making the playoffs, but you get a great evaluation of Jordan Love and hopefully in a positive way and players continue to progress. Awesome. If that means no playoffs, but you get those things, that's still the most important. Then, you know, after those two things, then finishing out the season strong, because I do think that that playoff experience would be valuable for a young playoff team or a young Green Bay team. Even if it is like you got to go to San Francisco and get crushed or you have to go to Philly (laughs) and get crushed. So be it. You you still learn something from that. Um, And who knows? Crazier things have happened. Maybe you do something crazy, but that's that's kind of my pecking order for the remainder of this year yeah anything beyond the evaluation and the development of a very young team for the future too i mean this is this is setting a foundation that, that can't be overstated there the, the importance of the season cannot be overstated but anything beyond that is a complete bonus and i think and it's very possible but it shouldn't be the expectation right now i will say just to kind of play devil's advocate just a little bit i do think there's a a semi limit to that. And I guess if, if they go like two or four and one or five there, you know, something like that, the rest of the way, especially with the schedule that they have, I do think then you start getting into the level of like, 
there's definitely a level of disappointment coming off of, you know, three out of four wins, a big win against Detroit. If you just kind of finish and it just is really not great, that could swing things a little, but in that situation, what probably happened is that Jordan and those young players didn't progress and play well, which is why exactly. that led to that. So I, we're, I think we're all circling back to the same spot. Right. Yeah. That's that. If they don't kind of, if they fizzle out by the end of the season and all of the, the progress stalls, that's the sign of a larger issue with Jordan Love, with these young guys, with the systems that they're in, with the scheme and all that kind of stuff. You're getting into some, some worse scenarios and some worse reasoning behind that other than just kind of fizzling out so it all goes back to is Jordan Love the guy can you feel good about naming him the guy at the end of the season and I do think that either way they're going to be able to do that and you know even if they finish one and five which I don't think it's going to happen. Knock on wood, that does not happen. We won't speak that into existence. You had another article that's kind of in lockstep of what we're talking about right now and that, uh, you know, how this Green Bay youth movement, the goal is to sort of usher in a new era of Packers football. It seems like it might be on the right track to being able to do so. You know, I, I kind of look at this as like, all right, when you add Ron Wolf, the first thing he did was kind of rebuild the roster, get some, he got some veterans into, but he built it around some young players as well. And he went out and got his two big players. He spent the first round draft pick to trade for Brett Favre. And he went out and got a big time defensive player in Reggie White. And then you had, you know, um, Ted Thompson take over and he went out and spent a first round pick on Aaron Rodgers and got a big time defensive player in Charles Woodson. And those guys mm-hmm. were, again, in both scenarios, were able to go out and get a Super Bowl in Green Bay. You know, for Brian, he goes out and spends a first round pick on Jordan Love. It took a a couple years longer for him to kind of go and understandably so because he had Aaron there already. He did immediately go out and get Zadarius Smith right away, which had immediate feelings of like, all right, that was his big guy, but it only kind of lasted a couple of years and then that fell apart. So I'm not sure, but he just signed Rashawn Gary to that big contract. That was one of his own draft picks. But still, like we're this is the third era now, and I'm interested to see of where you think Green Bay's at in that new era. That's not by coincidence either. This is by design. This is when you get into the Packers organization, they say, hey, listen, this is how we do things. This is how we've done things. It was good enough for Vince Lombardi. Why it, it, it should be good enough for you until it doesn't work. And yeah. we don't know that it hasn't worked yet. That was I, from the very beginning of the season, and I, I got killed for it from the other teams that I cover, fan bases. But I was like, I I don't know a world where Green Bay doesn't have a good quarterback under center and a solid team, and has have figured out how to build a team for sustained success. And until I see it doesn't work out, I'm going to assume it does. And so far, so good. I think the Packers have would have benefited from bringing in a couple veterans on, especially on the offensive side of the ball, to help these young guys develop literally just one or two and, yeah. and trying to help them, you know, be the player coaches, be the mentors, help, help them along. I think that would have sped up the process of learning this game and, and the intricacies of it and developing a little bit more, but historically that's, it's not exactly what the Packers have done. And, and it seems to have worked out. And we saw the bumps in the road earlier in the season with the four game skid because not only is Jordan Love trying to figure out everything that's going on around him, his receivers are trying to learn him, learn what's going on, get adjusted to the speed of the game. And, of course, Matt LaFleur didn't trust them to, to handle a large playbook or game plan week to week. Now that you see they have some experience and they know each other a little bit more, this is when Matt LaFleur is opening up a playbook into a system that looks more like what he wants to run. And that is why this is all starting to kind of click. And that's why, you know, 
Matt LaFleur was like, just be patient with me. Be patient. It's we're not in a patient league. It's not everybody wants an immediate return on their investment. The fact that Jordan Love sat for a couple of years is again, it's it's the exception. It's not the rule. So I just think that it 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 all boils down to the fact that this is how they do things. It's worked out before because it makes sense if you can afford to give them a little bit more time. And now we're seeing, again, something being set up for years to come. This isn't trying to catch lightning in a bottle. This isn't trying to buy your way into a Super Bowl. I was on a team like that. <laughs> um, and it, and then, you know, have to pay for it for years after the fact. This is a very slow and steady process that I think is probably the right way to do things, quite honestly, especially because it's worked out my entire life. Yeah, we're certainly about to find out if it can continue to have that level of success. I want to go back to those veterans for a moment because I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think the first side of that, of like having this, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is I still believe that their vision and Goody's vision and Matt's vision was, hey, we want obviously Jordan and these young receivers and young tight ends to develop together. But we think we can do that because we've got a veteran left tackle and a veteran running back and a returning offensive line that can do a lot of the heavy lifting while Jordan and the tight ends and the wide receivers kind of get up to speed, kind of where they're at right now, where you see it, you know, starting to develop better in week 10, 11, 12 of the season. But in the meantime, I think they wanted weeks one through eight to be very offensive line, Aaron Jones driven. However, David Bakhtiari goes out week one, Aaron Jones goes out week one and all of that crumbles under you. And now you don't have those veterans to lean on. And it's like, well, buckle in because now it's going to be young players all over the place, including at left tackle. And obviously you still had Dylan at running back, but it just kind of took the legs out from, I think what their vision was on offense. The other thing is like, I would have brought back Mercedes just because I think his veteran leadership in the locker room, but I think sometimes from like a Brian Gutekind standpoint is he knows, he knows if like, let's say he brings back Mercedes, right? And Matt LaFleur, because Matt LaFleur, once he gets into game planning for the week, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to win. So like, it might be beneficial long-term for the team to get Musgrave and Tucker Craft as many of those snaps as possible and Ben Sims as many of those snaps as possible. But when Matt's trying to go and game plan for a week, what's he going to do? Oh, well, my best guy is is Mercedes. Like he can block and he can give me some things that right. the others can't and I trust him. So what's Matt going to do? He's going to play Mercedes five, 600 snaps on the year because he feels like if I don't like those guys can't do what Mercedes does. And I just, so you end up like, go, so I think Goody almost was like, yeah, I'm not giving him a veteran wide receiver or a veteran tight end because those guys all need to play in order to get better. And if I give him a Mercedes where like that guy should have like right now in Chicago, I think he's right around or a little under 200 snaps on the season, which is where it should be. But if he's on Green Bay's roster, he might have to have like five or 600 snaps. And then those young guys don't get that development. So I just think it's a really interesting dynamic there between Goody and Matt and how like this team has been put together on offense. Well, that's a sign. I mean, it's a really interesting point. And that's a sign of two guys that, that know each other very well and work symbiotically with by like, even if it's Goody trying to save Matt LaFleur from himself exactly. in a lot of ways and trying to bring these guys along, it's, it shows that they do have a lot of trust. Um, save for the fact that Matt LaFleur said earlier this off season that he was like, yeah, I think we kind of need a veteran wide receiver still. Um, but that's, again, that's just not the way green Bay has done things. And Goody has been around long enough uh, under Ted Thompson, all that to see that this works so I think there was there. I think you could be completely correct in that he figured that the veterans on the line and the veterans in the backfield were going to be enough 
as long as that scheme could adjust to running those guys a little bit more in the beginning while Jordan Love got used to everything, while his receivers got used to everything um, and, and gained that chemistry. I said that from the very beginning, in the, in the beginning of the season where I was like, Jordan Love is coming into a really good situation for a young quarterback in that he should have a brick wall in front of him. He should have a backfield that he can rely on. He should also have a defense that has eight first round picks on it and should play up to that level and give him extra chances to, to, you know, even if it's to make some mistakes, at least give him extra possessions and some extra work. None of that has had like really came to fruition how it was supposed to. And so that's why you got the bumps in the road, but credit to everybody in that front office a credit to that coaching staff for coaching through it for getting through it and saying all right this isn't ideal we're probably going to take a few more losses than we originally anticipated but it's not enough that it's going to stunt Jordan Love's growth because we believe in him and you saw that I think good quarterbacks overcome some of these circumstances and that shows that gets you a, a further evaluation on Jordan Love because now it shows you what he's made of. What if he can get through adversity? If he can fight through these things and has you know the mental capability to keep himself steady, which that's all we hear is Jordan Love is just the same guy, win or lose, and he's got that even keel quarterback, never get too high, never get too low kind of mentality. Does he have the ability to be a leader in the locker room when things aren't going well? That's all now boxes ticked off because the Green Bay Packers went through a slump. And honestly, in a, in a year that there's not, the stakes weren't super high, I think that's great. Yep. Yep. Some of the learning things that Green Bay's gone through this season have been so invaluable for a really young team, and I think it's going to pay huge dividends down the road. Uh, let's take a spin around the rest of the NFC North before we finish up with Packers and Chiefs. I want to start with the Lions. The Lions are an interesting team to me. I was going back and looking at their schedule. They've got the Saints coming up this week on the road, um, which should be an interesting game. But I'm going back. So they beat Kansas City week one, right? That's a really big win. We know that KC had some injuries and the Chris Jones contract situation in that game was what it was. But they go into Kansas City on their Super Bowl uh, celebration night. Yeah. One of the toughest places to play, and they get a win. Nobody else would have wanted to play Kansas City on that night in that stadium and Detroit somehow find a way to go in it. I'm not taking anything away from Detroit for that win. Here are their wins since then. And wins in the NFL are still wins in the NFL, and you can't take that necessarily away either. But you've got the Atlanta Falcons, Green Bay Packers early in the season when they were really struggling, the Carolina Panthers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Las Vegas Raiders when they were massively struggling at that point, the LA Chargers, the Chicago Bears. Those are their wins outside of that first Kansas City game. That's not exactly a who's who of big time opponents that they've gone and played outside of that Kansas City game in week one. Their three losses, meanwhile, the Seattle Seahawks, the Baltimore Ravens, and then more recently to the Green Bay Packers when the Green Bay Packers were actually playing better. Outside of the Chiefs game, when they've played a little bit more talent and some better teams, they are not winning those football games. I'm just intrigued and where you kind of come down on this line. I still think they're very good. I still think they're going to end up with the three seed in the NFC, NFC North champions. I don't think anyone's necessarily going to want to play them come playoff time because they do have that scrappy mentality and some really good players and a great offensive line. I think they're built for playoff football. They've got one big test kind of remaining on their schedule when they go to Dallas on December 30th. But your thoughts on this Detroit Lions team? 
So I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed. And it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired and I was tired of being unfocused and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. That's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of my absolute favorite parts of the holidays is the joy of gift giving and trying to find that perfect gift for somebody that you care about so incredibly much. I've got two boys, 10 years old and six years old, and they are the absolute joy of my life. And watching them open those gifts and seeing the smiles on their faces is just about the best thing in the entire world. But one of the things that we often forget during the holidays is to remember to give to ourselves. Maybe that's in the form of a present, but it could also be the gift of taking a moment to enjoy the holidays. It could be treating yourself to a day of rest or maybe just enjoying your favorite meal. The best part is that you get to decide how to give to yourself. One other way that you can do that is by giving yourself the gift of therapy. And sometimes the holidays are the perfect time to start therapy or maybe even restart your therapy journey. Therapy continues to give me the tools that I need to live a happy, successful, and joyful life. Simply put, therapy is a beautiful journey to finding myself and making myself a better person. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. You can go online right now and find a therapy plan that's uniquely designed for you. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. Detroit's an interesting case study in uh, having success early on when you have a ton of young players, but while you've also like built through the trenches. So the trenches are have what been they have sustained the Detroit Lions yeah. up until this point, and we see what happens when those trenches break down because you had multiple offensive line injuries, and when Jared Goff is not protected, he's not the same quarterback. We see that. We've seen that over and over again. We saw that back in Los Angeles. We see that in Detroit. And they thought they had depth along that line, but that depth has been tested. And then the defense, this is the part that concerns me when it gets to the playoffs because that pass defense has, again, taken so many hits by via injury that that's not the secondary they were expecting to field, especially after going out and addressing it in free agency, getting Emmanuel Mosley, getting C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They thought that they were going to have a good rotation back there to then complement the defensive front, which is good when they're all healthy as well. But that hasn't necessarily been the case, especially because now you have the last game against the Green Bay Packers. 
the Detroit Lions secondary, both starting safeties, both starting corners played 100% of the defensive snaps. That's bad. That's very bad. You should always have a rotation at those positions, especially corner. I've seen teams get away with just having two safeties, but it's not, it's not a place you want to live at. Believe me, especially when you have these, you have such an intricate and kind of creative package where guys are being used in different areas of the backfield. You don't ever want these guys to not be able to take a breather. And it shows late in games when they're not able to continue to get stops. And when the offense isn't clicking and they can't score 40 points, that's an issue. So that's what concerns me with the Detroit Lions. I think that the rest of the way, because their schedule really isn't that strenuous, um, that they'll be fine the rest of the regular season. But they better hope C.J. Gardner-Johnson comes back and they can get a little bit more of a rotation going in that secondary because it's putting way too much stress on the defensive front that people are game, the teams are game planning for now. Ali McNeil, defensive tackle, Isaiah Bugs, those guys in the interior of that defensive line, they're 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 not a secret anymore. Like people know what what what's happening along that defensive line. Aiden Hutchinson, he's been able to, you know, kind of overcome double teams all season and they move him around the defensive line to kind of get him some better matchups. But I mean, it doesn't really matter if your offense isn't scoring points because that defense and that pass defense in particular is very, very concerning. That being said, they'll be fine the rest of the way until the playoffs. And then I get concerned. Yeah, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, just his mentality on the defensive side of the ball would bring, I think, a lot to that defense and something they could really use. Obviously, Brian Branch has been really good, but you can use both of those yeah. guys and they just have a much better secondary. So they could get him back. That would be massive for them. But to your point, schedule remainder of the way. We talked about their kind of easy-ish schedule so far. They've got Saints on the road, Bears on the road, Broncos who are definitely playing a lot better, but Broncos at home, at Vikings, Cowboys on the road, and then uh, Vikings at home. So it should be a not too difficult schedule for them moving forward, but Denver, maybe a couple of Minnesota games, Dallas on the road. Those will be their, their more interesting ones. All right, let's jump over. And I want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings next because they have now lost two in a row at one point, obviously with Kirk cousins, it looked like they were kind of a shoe in for one of those wild card spots at minimum. Now, maybe not so much. You had the immediate Josh Dobbs, the pasture, not everything that came with it, that gave a little spark in a moment. Now that hasn't been the case. He has a really, really brutal game against the Bears on Monday night. They've got a bye this week, which I think they probably desperately needed. But your thoughts on the Vikings, where they're at, and is Josh Dobbs still the quarterback? I think Josh Dobbs is still the quarterback. I think he's your best option when it comes to – I mean, they've been. it's not like they were killed in the last couple of games. I mean, it was, it was still close. Um, this last game, although it was to the bears and and there really isn't much of an excuse, but the bears have figured some things out on defense and they, people have also figured some things out about Josh jobs. That's the thing is like, you know, what he looks like in Minnesota in particular. I saw a lot of people on Twitter being like the more Josh jobs knows this offense, the more, the worse he gets. And I'm like, no, it's other teams now having tape on Josh jobs in this offense and knowing where the weaknesses are. That's what's happening here and how they overcome that is going to be tell kind of tell the story of what the Minnesota Vikings could end up doing towards the end of the season. They are getting Justin Jefferson back in Las Vegas, at least also signs point to that. They activated him to the active roster so they didn't have to shut him down for the year this week. Um, And I think that that's going to add another wrinkle into this offense that, isn't on tape right now because we don't know what Josh Dobbs look like looks like when Justin Jefferson is on the field. Yep. That could carry them for the next couple of games. 
And I'm going to be in Las Vegas to see the return of Justin Jefferson. And I, I'm very interested to see how Kevin O'Connell kind of works him back into the lineup, who the secondary receiver is now going to be between Jordan Addison and randomly Brandon Powell, uh, who has been wonderful for them. Yeah. And I just think they can kind of take teams off guard um, with the return of the best receiver in the league. And I, that, that can't be um, overlooked. And I think that Josh Dobbs, because any quarterback, Josh Dobbs can, can benefit that from that because any quarterback is going to benefit from that. For sure. And I mean, we haven't really got to see too much of Jefferson and Addison because it was like when Jefferson went down, it was when like Addison started to break out even more. And I just think those two with Hawkinson, Powell, and it's like, you're, you really have a lot going for you at that point. It's going to be imperative, though, that they not only get Jefferson back against that game against the Raiders, but also like they, they need to find a win in that game because they'll go to Cincinnati after that, which is going to be a, an easier game without you know their starting quarterback. And that, that just makes things a, a totally different um, without Burrow. But then they have Detroit, Green Bay, Detroit in their last three games to end the year. That's going to be an interesting stretch for Minnesota. But if they like all of a sudden they have, if they struggle against the Raiders and the Bengals, like that could be a really bad sign for this team. If they pick up two in a row against those two, and again the Bengals one should be a win. But they pick up those two, that that again gets them some momentum going into those final three games. So it should be very very interesting. I, I also think that it's just the sorry this the the stakes just aren't high for Minnesota right now either. I mean, it, like getting to the playoffs would be great, but after Kirk Cousins went down, I don't think that you could ha- you could have had any real hopes, real postseason hopes past the wild card round. And at that point, what is that going to do? I think either way, Minnesota is going to need a quarterback, and whether that's Kirk Cousins coming back or whether that's drafting one, trying to you know make something happen. I, I Josh Jobs wasn't supposed to be your long term answer, so even if they don't finish out. The season well I don't think that changes much is as far as their strategy goes this offseason well said totally agreed uh let's jump to the Bears really quick they've somehow won two of their past three one of them was the Panthers so yeah um but the other they did get the win against the Vikings as we just talked about um but just curious your thoughts on Justin Fields and his status Matt Eberflus and his status and I did notice you put a, a list together of the top coaching openings, potential coaching openings in the off season, And you had the bears at number two on that list. If the bears do move on from Matty Berflus, this is a sneaky good roster. Now that Ryan Poles has had a couple of years to fill some gaps that has not been talked about, but we saw what we've seen tangible defensive improvement under Matty Berflus. I don't know if it's enough to save his job, but on the offensive side of the ball, too, the biggest knock was the offensive line. Could they still use an offensive lineman? Absolutely. Is this the worst offensive line in the league anymore? No. I think you'd probably put it somewhere in the middle, quite honestly. It's yeah. no longer an excuse for Justin Fields uh, not seeing his receivers, not having enough time, not being able to execute a rhythm offense that Luke Getze likes to run. And now we're seeing, again, those excuses are taken away because you have a number one receiver. You have like a, a backfield that, especially with Justin Fields involved, is sustainable. And you have an offensive line that can make everything go enough to really, you know, see what you have on this offense. And so I don't think there's a ton more holes to fill. And they are going to have the draft capital to do it. They're going to have the monetary capital and the cap space to do it. This is a really good situation for a head coach to come into, especially if they do move on from Justin Fields and that head coach gets to start over with the quarterback he wants. 
And I do think that that's still going to be the case because the biggest thing we wanted to see out of Justin Fields was consistency. We still have not seen consistency. He shows flashes. There's incredible athleticism there, especially if the system is actually tailored to his skill set. But that has not been something the Bears have shown that they can do. And it's not something Justin has shown that he can do. They, 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 they can't match up for long enough in, in any of this. And I, okay. I saw Justin Fields go down the field you know, this last game and win the game for the most part for the Chicago Bears, which is not something we've historically seen. But the fact that they were in that hole was because he fumbled twice. And, and didn't take advantage of being in the lead. And it was too close. It was way closer than it should have been. Again, there was no offensive rhythm to be had. It was two really bad teams playing that someone had to win. It wasn't a statement win by any stretch of the imagination. And that's not something we've really seen yet. If you had to bet everything on it right now, are either Justin Fields or Matt Eberflus back in Chicago next year? I can't say for certain that Matt Eberflus is gone. I think that Justin Fields is gone. I think the opportunity in front of the Bears is too good to pass up, having Carolina's first pick as well as theirs. And you're hoping you're you're not going to be in this situation again, that you're picking this high. And it resets the clock. That's the biggest thing, is it resets the clock on a new quarterback who's under team control for five years and gives you – you know, a way to grow with that quarterback so that even if it doesn't work out, you're going out on your terms because this is a guy you brought in. Chicago does have a bye week this week. They finish up with Detroit, Cleveland, Arizona, Atlanta, and then at Green Bay, which could be a very big game for the Green Bay Packers in that final week. All right, before I get you out of here really quick, uh, quick thoughts on Packers, Chiefs, and keys to the game this Sunday. It's going to be really interesting. I don't know. I feel like this is such a sneaky contest that could end up being a really good game uh i think matt schneiman tweeted about uh, a taylor swift song love story that they need to play if, if jordan love scores a touchdown be awesome <laughs> which i think is hilarious but uh listen the chiefs don't look unbeatable and if it, but it's going to make a difference if you can get pressure on patrick mahomes without actually having to blitz that's the biggest thing for this Packers defense. And that's the biggest thing against Mahomes in general is send all your guys back to cover because Mahomes receivers aren't what they used to be. And he's not on the same page with a lot of them and they are dropping balls. So as much as coverage as you can play on these guys, I mean, just, just do it. You've got the personnel to be able to do it. Hopefully Jair Alexander is going to be healthy and at, at the level that we know he can play at. Um, that's going to be really, really big, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the only guy that Pat Mahomes has right now is Travis Kelsey. And that's, that's the truth of the matter, but they've still been able to get it done. And, uh, Spags is also going to, I just have to imagine he's going to bring the house all the time. I mean, this is a guy who has shown his willingness to blitz and to bring pressure for young quarterbacks. Uh, and I have to imagine that's what he's going to do to Jordan Love. So it's going to be up to Jordan Love to make some really quick decisions, make some really quick reads, get the ball out very quickly. And that offensive line is going to need to play up to the level that we've seen them play the last couple of weeks. I could see Spagnolo bringing pressure to bring pressure. I could also see him bringing pressure just to get Chris Jones one-on-one with a John Runyon Jr. or a Josh Myers mm-hmm. 
and just let that guy cook in the middle and be like, neither of those guys can block Chris Jones one-on-one and make it a very difficult day. So he's going to have some options at his disposal against Green Bay's offense. Green Bay is going to have to find a way to run the ball. And on defense, they have to keep their gap integrity and their lane, more specifically their lane integrity in the pass rush so that Mahomes can't get to the outside, have all the time in the world and either beat Green Bay with his legs or just the the big bombs down the field once he gets outside of the pocket. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited. Packers, as we're recording this, are currently six-point favorites. Or sorry, Chiefs are currently six-point favorites. That would be quite the swing like, uh, if that happened. But, yeah, Chiefs are currently six-point favorites. I think that's a huge be. spread, too. I mean, like, come on, man. This is the NFL, and yeah. Packers are at home. I don't know. They they usually know, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get some things wrong. You should, Hopefully get, you should one. get three points just for being at home. I mean, like I, I see a minus three spread here for the Chiefs, but minus six is a lot. And it's, I, honestly, I hope that's I hope the Packers use that as motivation. I feel like this is a game that's like a six point spread on a neutral field nine game. If it's a nine point game, if it's KC and three point game if it's in, in Green yes. Bay, but. What do I know? Vegas probably knows much better. Carmen, amazing stuff as always. Where can we find your awesome work and uh, plug anything you want to plug? Yeah, please go check out my social media on my Twitter, X, uh, and Instagram at V. That's where I post all my articles, my appearances, all that kind of stuff. Uh, check out the NFL on Fox podcast because I was on it right before we previewed uh, Lions Packers. And then I will be on it again today to talk about Packers Chiefs. So please check that out tomorrow uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Love it. Make sure to check that out again. Follow her on Twitter X at Carmi V. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. For Carmen, I'm Andy. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. 